Welcome to the Outpouring Orlando Sermon Podcast. We exist to help people grow in Christ, share the gospel, and serve the community. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy today's message. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. Someone that's not too cold, you can participate with me in the sermon today. You can participate with me in the sermon today. You can say, you can say amen. You can say amen. Just bougie today. Bougie in Jesus' name. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. When you're there, say amen to me. All right. It says this, for this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I pray that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend what it, with all the saints what is the length and the width and the height and the depth of God's love and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And I love verse 20 and verse 21. It says this, Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think, According to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let us pray. Uh, God, we just thank you today that we have this opportunity to come before you today. God, I, I pray that you would just do something uncommon today. That as we study together, God, I pray that your spirit would be tangible, that your spirit would be would be evident in this place. And so, Father, today, I just pray that, that whatever we have been grappling with, wrestling with today, I pray that we would find strength in you, God. I pray that today would be a day like no other where we are encouraged and edified in our faith, God. I pray today that you would just do something supernatural in our hearts and in our lives today, God. God, whatever we thought was out of your reach, whatever we thought was out of just beyond the scope of what could happen for us, I pray today, God, that we are revived to believe again. And so, Lord, I just thank you today for moving in the hearts of your people, for visiting us today, God. And, and so, Father, I pray ultimately that we, uh, that we would look at your son Jesus, that, we, that he would be made known today, God, that we would see why it is that we love him the way that we do. And so, Father, I pray that he will be glorified today. We give you glory, we give you honor, we give you praise. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and the people of God said, amen. You may be seated. My sermon title is simple this morning. I really couldn't think of a deep sermon title, but I figured I might as well call it Power after my favorite TV show. Now, I will spare you, and I will not give you any power references this morning, but I'll get right into my text. I want to tell you a short story. In 2001, shortly after the devastating events of September 11, pastor and theologian Tim Keller 
who passes in Manhattan recalls the effects that that particular event had on the people in the city of New York as a whole. Keller at one point stated that after the events of September 11th, it seemed like the city was going through a corporate clinical depression. However, on top of the communal trauma that was going on in the city and the communal trauma that Keller had to deal with as a resident and a pastor in the city of New York, he also had family stress that he had to deal with because of his wife's intensified battle with Crohn's disease. And so you take the events of September 11th, this community trauma that Keller has to go through as a resident and a pastor, and then you take this tragedy of an event with his wife having this intense, severe battle with Crohn's disease. If that was not enough, Keller then tells us that shortly thereafter, he personally had to deal with his own devastation after receiving the horrible news that he had been diagnosed with thyroid cancer. And so in that, you will see that Keller is dealing with communal trauma, he's dealing with family stress, and he's also dealing with personal devastation because of his diagnosis of cancer. But during this time, Keller recalls that his wife Kathy approached him with a request to do something that they had never had the self-discipline to do on a regular basis. She asked him something radical. He says that his wife Kathy asked him, to pray with her every single night. He asked her to pray with him every single night. And so to bring clarity to her urgency to pray, Keller recalls that his wife used an illustration to convey her feelings. He recorded her statements in his book on prayer, and she said, and I quote, I imagine you were diagnosed with such a lethal condition that the doctor told you that you would die within hours unless you took a particular medicine, a pill every night before you, go, before you went to sleep. Imagine that you could never miss it or you would die. Would you forget to take the medicine? Would you not get around to it some nights? No, it would be so crucial that you wouldn't forget. You would never miss it. Well, if we don't pray together to God, we're not going to make it in this either with all that we're facing. I'm certainly not going to make it, as Kathy said. We have to pray, and we cannot afford to just let prayer slip our minds. And when I think about this story, it also goes on to tell us that at the time of this writing, it was 12 years after this request that his wife made and Keller goes on to say, I can't remember after 12 years missing a single evening of prayer together, at least by phone, even when we've been apart in different hemispheres. Kathy Keller's insights in her urgency to pray highlights our own necessity to pray. That in the midst of all that we've gone through corporately as people together and all that we've had to deal with with our families and not to mention the personal effects that this has had on us all, if we don't pray, we're not going to make it either. And here's what I want to say to you, that even in the midst of all of the devastation and tragedy that we've all had to deal with over the last two years, God still expects for us to grow. That even though we are going through challenges, even though life has not been easy for us, God never said that, okay, since you're going through stuff, 
you never have the responsibility to grow anymore. You actually are still called by God to be made in his image and in his likeness. God still expects for his people to grow in him, even though we are going through something. And so the day, today's text highlights how can I manage my life and grow in God at the same time? In this season, have you thought that, man, I just don't seem to have the time that I used to have? I just don't seem to have the energy that I used to have. So how is it that I'm going to manage my life, work, my family and all the things that are happening in my life and still focus on God at the same time? And if you feel like, man, pastor, you know what? I agree with that. And it does seem hard. Life is really hard right now. I'm running out of patience. I don't seem to have strength some mornings. Sometimes I just want to lay in the bed and not deal with life. If you feel that way, I want to tell you, and it feels like it's impossible for you in this season to grow in God. I want to tell you that your feelings are absolutely correct. You cannot grow in God by yourself. And I got good news for you. Yes, you cannot grow of your own will and of your own accord but let me tell you this God has called you to grow but God has provided you the resources that you need to do what he's called you to do you are not in this by yourself if God has called you to it God will make provision for you to have everything that you need and so Paul in this text prays one of the most expansive enormous and far-reaching prayers in all of scripture one theologian Armitage Robinson said this about this particular pa passage in the Bible he says this no prayer that has ever been framed has uttered a bolder request now when you think about all the prayers in the Bible you think about all the people who came to Jesus for healing you think about Elijah, you think about him making it rain. You think about all of these prayers. You think about the prayers where Jesus went and raised a little girl or, or healed a little girl or Jesus brought sight to blind people. You think about the prayer of the early church when they're in the upper room and acts and the Holy Spirit comes and falls. You think of all of these prayers, but there's something specific about Paul's prayer in this book of Ephesus. And Paul realizes that, yes, they are suffering as a people. Yes, they are going through it. But I'm going to pray the most radical and crazy prayer that I can think of. And what does Paul pray for? Paul prays that they would have inner strength, that they would be strengthened by God's power. And Paul also prays that they would understand something that is impossible for us to understand. And he wants them to understand the love of God. So he prays that they would have inner strength, but he also prays that they would somehow, some way, understand or comprehend God's love for them. And I don't know if you've ever tried to comprehend or understand God's love for you. It is a tall order. That how do I understand how a man could die for somebody like me? But Paul prays that no matter how impossible it is, I'm going to pray anyway because I believe that God can respond to the prayer. And this is a lesson for us that there is no limit to the prayers that God can answer. Let me tell you today, I want to encourage you. God is the sovereign God. He is powerful. He is God over everything. And for God, nothing is impossible. Your God has unlimited resources. The Father has an endless supply of whatever you need. I don't know what you thought about and said, nah, I might as well not even waste my time praying for that. Nah, I might as well put them hopes and wishes away. I want to tell you today that if you are in God, if you are in Christ, there is nothing 
that you can pray that God can't answer. God has more resources than you have prayer requests. This is good news for us today. We go to God so timid, like, I don't want to bother God. I don't want to get on God's nerve. I'm sure he's got more important stuff to deal with, as if God can't walk and chew gum at the same time. You have limitations. God does not. And so Paul actually talks about this early on in the book of Ephesians in chapter 1. Paul said, he prayed before in Ephesians in chapter 1. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened to know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the mighty working of his strength. And he exercised his power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavens. And he's saying the power that I'm praying for you to have so that you can have inner strength is a same power that raised Jesus from the grave that same power that God has is available to you that you are not in this by yourself and Paul says if you don't believe me if we go back to chapter 3 and we go to verse 7 we didn't read that Paul uses himself as a practical example of the power of God and what God can do Paul saying I'm the least of all the saints nobody has a worse past than me I wanted to kill Christians I hated Christians I was a hater of God's people which made me an enemy of God and he still somehow by his power and by his love called me Save me, and now he is using me, the murderer of Paul, now to preach the good news of the gospel to the Gentiles. If that ain't power that can save somebody like me, I don't know what power is. And so you might think that you have a horrible past or there are things that God just cannot overlook and things you've done that is way too far for you to be used by God. And Paul is saying, if his power can touch somebody like me, it surely can touch you. So this power is made available to us. And Paul says, for this reason, for this reason, I pray. What's the reason that Paul says when he says in verse 14, for this reason? Paul is saying, for this reason, the same God that took them from spiritual death to spiritual life, the same God that took them from spiritual poverty to now being beneficiaries of his spiritual riches, the same people that I've created in Christ Jesus for good works that I prepared ahead of time for them to do, the the same people that were once enemies of each other, those who are far away from God and those who are near, I've brought them together, both Jew and Gentile, both both circumcised and uncircumcised. I brought them together and made them one new man in Christ Jesus, those same ones that were enemies of each other and also enemies of God. I've made them one and now they are my children and they call me Father, for this reason, I'm praying for this power because he's not just some God. He's actually their father. He's actually their father. And so here's what he says. If you look at verses 14 through 16, here's what it says in the text, verses 14 through 16. For this reason, I kneel before the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. And I pray that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory. If I had a Bible in front of me and I had an ink pen or I had a highlighter, I would underline according to his riches and glory. And Paul says, I kneel before the father 
father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Here's what he's saying. He's actually the father of all mankind because he is the creator of all. But he's not just the father of all mankind. He's especially the father of those who've come into relationship with his son. That, that they are actually my children. And so when they come to me with their prayer request, no matter how crazy and radical it is, they can come to me with confidence because I am their father. I am a good father, but I ain't just a good father. I'm a good father that knows how to give good gifts. That this is the confidence that you can have in him that he ain't just some deadbeat dad. He's a good father. He's a present father. He's there for his children. He responds to his children. He has communication with his children. He leads and guides them. And when they come to him, they can't come to him like a stranger. They got to come to him like he's a good daddy and every day is Christmas. He's a good father that knows how to give good gifts, but he doesn't just give good gifts. He gives them according to his riches, to the riches of his glory. And I want to just do a quick Quick Bible study. Stick with me. I want to do a quick Bible study. If we were to take our Bible and look at Ephesians chapter 1, I'm not going to go there, but I want to just tell, I'm going to give you a highlight. Ephesians chapter 1, if we looked at verses 3 through 14, Paul describes the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ, the spiritual blessings that God has poured out on us. And I'll just give you a quick rundown of the spiritual blessings. He says that I predestined you. I chose you, I adopted you, I redeemed you, I've forgiven you, uh, I sealed you with the Holy Spirit, and now you have an inheritance because you are my children. He gave them all these blessings. I want to run down the line real quick. He says, I predestined you, I chose you, I adopted you, I redeemed you, I forgave you, I sealed you with the Holy Spirit, and now you have an inheritance in me just because you are my children. And Paul says in the text that God did all of these according to his riches, the riches of his glory. So I did a quick search. I didn't see this in a book. I did this on my own. I looked back because the same word kept appearing over and over again in chapters 1 through 3 of of Ephesians. He kept using the word riches. He kept using the word riches. And from chapter 1 through chapter 3 of the book of Ephesians, he uses the word riches six times and he uses the word wealth one time. Why would Paul keep talking about riches? He kept saying he's doing it according to his riches, his immeasurable riches, but God is rich in mercy. And he keeps talking about God's riches. And what he's trying to get them to understand is, is that God has a limitless supply of spiritual blessings that he pours out on his people, meaning that there isn't anything that they need that God won't supply that God gives according to his riches and glory if we look back at Philippians chapter 4 verse 4 4, chapter 4 verse 19 we say this all the time and my God shall supply all of my needs according to what his riches and glory why does he keep saying that he keeps saying that because God has a limitless supply of the spiritual blessings that his people need and so he didn't say that God shall supply uh, uh, all of your needs out of his riches and glory, he says according to. There's a difference of out of and according to. If I give you something, if I'm a billionaire and I give you something out of my riches, I might just give you $100. But if I give you something according to my riches, according to, I can give you $50 million and it not cost me nothing. So God doesn't give us out of his riches. He gives us according to his riches, meaning God ain't holding nothing back from his children. And if you belong to him, all you got to do is ask for it.
I don't know if you know how good this is that God gives us riches commensurate with the riches that he has. And he has an unlimited supply of whatever we need to live for him, serve him, and to represent him. His capacity to give far and away outseeds our capacity to ask. That there is nothing that you need from a spiritual perspective that God can't supply. Whatever spiritual blessings we have need of, God is well-resourced enough to supply it. I love what 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 through 15 says, and this is the confidence that we have before him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. This is a promise. In, in the Bible, this is a promise that all we have to do is ask. There is nothing that you need that God can't supply. I can't say this enough. And I'm trying to get you to a point where you grow up in your faith so much that when you go to pray, it's not on a hope and a prayer. It's not, not some, I hope this, I wish this happens, but it is, it is confident hope knowing that you have an interest relationship with your father that knows what you have need of and has an endless supply of it and he's willing to give it to you this should change your whole perspective when you pray and so what does Paul do Paul prays for two things he prays number one for their inner strength and number two he prays that they will comprehend the love of God towards them number one Paul prays that they would have inner strength that God through the through the Holy Spirit, would give them power. Number two, he prays that they would comprehend the love of God towards them. But Paul has a main goal. He prays that they might be filled with the fullness of God, another impossible prayer request. Because how can you be really filled with all the fullness of God in this life? But he prays his prayer. And essentially what Paul is praying is, is that we might be all that God has created us to be as individuals and as a church. So he prays for inner strength, and he prays that they will comprehend the love of God. Let's look at the first one. Verses 16 through 17 says, I pray that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. When he says that you will be strengthened in your inner being, he's talking about our heart. He's talking about the center of our lives, our, our thoughts, our personality, our emotions, the seed of our will. He's talking about the heart. He prays that we will be strengthened with power in our inner being, in our heart. He, he prays that we will be strengthened right here at the seed of our will over and against discouragement and the distractions of life. He prays that we would have strength and that's good for us because we live in a day and age where it is easy for us to be emotionally unstable, where, it, where it's easy for us to be stressed out from a mental perspective. But he prays that we will be strengthened in our inner self, that we would have the power of God living on the inside of us. And essentially what he's praying for is that they will have emotional and spiritual stability, that they will actually be stable in their emotions, that they will be stable in their hearts. He's praying that they will withstand without giving up, that they will withstand all that life throws at them and not give up on God. He's praying that they would actually have staying power. He's praying that they would be good on the inside, not just on the outside. You know how it is when you're really going through some and you broke down inside and somebody asked you how you're doing and you say I'm blessed and highly favored and nothing about your inner life says you're blessed and highly favored you know Americans 
spend $34.8 billion a year in gym memberships. $34.8 million, $34.8 billion a year are spent on gym memberships. And $1.3 billion is spent on unused, that is unused. $1.3 billion of gym memberships, I'm just, because I'm guilty. $1.3 billion of gym memberships that is paid for goes unused. That means that they will never show up to the gym. That they never show, LA Fitness gets all my money. I have my shadow hadn't darkened that door and I don't know when, right? But, but I'm, I'm spinning it, right? And, and Americans do this because we want to look good. We, we want to beautify our external physical being. We, we should be good stewards of our bodies. We should take care of our bodies because it's the Lord's temple. I'm, I agree with all of that. But, but, but think about the, the main reason many people do it in our culture. We want to look good at, outside. We get these gym memberships and, and we want to post it on the gram and show, show our progress. And we got all these filters. And you think about all, all the things that we see in our culture with the dieting programs and cosmetic surgeries that their people are doing to themselves all in an attempt to look good on the outside. But I want to tell you this about God. God cares more that you look good on the inside better than you look good on the outside. God cares more that we would build your inside than, than that you would build your outside first. Nothing wrong building your outside, but God is more concerned about your heart being strong than your muscles and your body being strong. That makes sense. He's not concerned that you look good on the outside. He's concerned that you be strengthened internally. It is possible to put on a beautiful veneer in the midst of life right now, but slowly be deteriorating on the inside day by day. That, that we can look beautiful. Y'all look amazing today. Y'all look amazing. You got on your winter clothes. You got on your jackets. Y'all look good today. Good with a T on the end of it. Y'all look great today. You look amazing. You look beautiful. But I wonder, do you look like that way on the inside? He's praying that they would have power, that they would look good in their hearts, that they would be emotionally stable, that you can sit down and remain in God and not be moved or deterred. He prays that they would have power in their inner self. How do they get this power? They get this power through the Holy Spirit. He's a mediator. He, he, he streamlines the power of God into the hearts of believers. Our strength doesn't come from our own willpower. Our strength comes from God's strength. The Holy Spirit is there to give us that strength. The Holy Spirit is working and strengthening and renewing our hearts as we go through stuff and life gets hard. But the Holy Spirit is working overtime in our hearts to build us up, to make us strong, that we have strong emotional stability and mental stability, that we remain and stay in God no matter what. Is happening. I love the way Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16. Paul says this, even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. The Holy Spirit is working every day in your heart to make you more like Jesus. He's doing work in your hearts. And as the Holy Spirit strengthens you with power, he moves all of the distractions, all of the distress, all the things that you're going through, and he makes more room for Jesus in your heart. That's why verse 17 says, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that Christ may actually take up residence, that Christ may sit down, that he will make your heart his home that Christ would actually live in your heart that Christ would occupy more space in your heart so that distraction and distress and the things of life don't occupy the space that only belongs to God and so the spirit is helping us by giving us the power and at the same time Christ is moving in our hearts Christ wants your heart to be a home not an apartment 
because an apartment is temporary, but a home is permanent. You know what? You can renovate and remodel a home, but there are limitations on what you can do to the apartment that you rent. You might can hang a couple pictures on the wall, but when that lease is up and you move out because they raised that rent, you're going to have to caulk all them holes in that wall. You're going to have to put that closet sliding door right back on the tracks where you tore it off from when you first moved in there because you tried to stuff too much stuff in the closet. Somebody say amen because y'all know I'm telling the truth. Right? You have to put it just like the way it was. But when you have a home, you do whatever you want to do with it. Because you bought it and you purchased it. This is temporary versus permanent. And so it's kind of like a home renovation. Uh, We love watching these home renovation shows. Uh, uh, We like we like watching love love us some Chip and some Joanna. But but if you watch any of these shows, you ever see them buy a house from a previous owner. And when they buy the house, it, it look a hot mess on the inside of it. Like, like it looks real bad. The house is in bad shape. And oftentimes what will happen is uh, uh, they'll have the feeling and the characteristic of the previous owner. So you'll see guacamole green walls. You'll see psychedelic little print, print, print things on the wall and wallpaper. You'll see all kind of crazy, weird stuff. It's like, why is the bathtub in the kitchen? You see all this stuff on these shows. And, and so when a new owner takes over, what do they do? They begin the process of renovation. And sometimes the home that they buy is unlivable, it's uninhabitable by the new owner because of the old owner and the old owner didn't really take care of it. So what do they have to do? Sometimes they have to go in there and tear down walls. They got to rip out that ugly green carpet. They got to replace it with new carpet. They got to repaint the wall from those psychedelic colors. So when people take up permanent residence, eventually over time, their presence is evident in the house. They put their own touch on it. They put their own character on it. It used to be all stuffy now it's all light and airy and this is what happens they renovate the house in such a way that it looks like them it smells like them it matches their personality you can tell they live there because all throughout the home you see their fingerprint because in a renovation transformation happens and what I'm telling you is that God has done the same thing with us through the work of the Holy Spirit and his son he has purchased our salvation and has taken ownership and begin the process of renovation and let me tell you about yourself your house was worse than the uninhabitable house it takes a lot of power to do uh, the to undo the damage because the house when he brought it it was unlivable but now he has made it livable again and he's taking possession and he's replaced the old things with new things he's taken out that unforgiveness and replaced it with forgiveness he's taken out your bitterness and replaced it with kindness he's taken out your worry and your anxiety and your stress and he's replaced it with peace he's taken out your anger and replaced it with joy and the longer Jesus stays the more his personality begins to shine through in the house his personal touch is evident and more and more over time it looks like him it feels like him it's comfortable for him it's suitable for him it's a home appropriate for him and this is what the Holy Spirit is doing in our hearts making it look more like Jesus and Paul is praying that the Holy Spirit will continue to work that he would have space in every room, in every closet of the heart, the home of your heart. And this is what he's doing. He's saying, I pray that you be strengthened by the spirit, rooted and established in love. Here's the thing you need to know. The basis of the strength is the love of God. And the love of God is nothing other than the good news. The love of God is what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. This is the, the foundation 
of God's love for us. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 4 through 5 says this, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us. He has made us alive with Christ even though we were dead in our trespasses. It says because of, but, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us. And Paul is praying that this is our reality that no matter what is going on in the world of my life, no matter how confused or bewildered I am at times, I can draw strength from God because of his love for me. Without the power of God, it'll be hard for me to appreciate the love of God. And so Paul is saying, I hope that Christ makes, uh, makes resident in your home so that you can somehow grasp his love for you. And this brings us to Paul's second petition. And Paul prays this in verses 18 through 19. I pray that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width, height and depth of God's love and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge. Here's what he says. I want you to know the I want you to know what it's impossible for you to know. I want you to know the limitless love of Christ that he has for you. I want you to know it, although it's too massive for you to grasp. It's too big for you to know how much Christ loves you. Here's the thing about unbelievers. Unbelievers cannot know or understand why we love Jesus so much. Here's why they can't. Because they don't understand how much he loves us. Because our love It's not us loving God, it's him loving us first and we respond to it. The scriptures tell us that we love God because he first loved us. He made the move on us. We love Jesus the way we love him because he loved us first. He beat us to the punch. And so our love is just a response to his love. And his love was demonstrated in human history on the cross. Romans 5, 6 through 8 says this, for while we were still helpless, While we were helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely would someone die for a just person. Though for a good person, perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his own love for us that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. That's absolutely asinine. That while we were at our worst, Christ died for us. When we couldn't get it together, Christ died for us. When we couldn't get out of our own way, Christ died for us. When we were dead in our sins and trespasses and helpless, Christ died for us. So God didn't love some lovable people. He loved the most unloving creatures that anybody could ever love. And he not only loved us, but he died for us. He showed it. So we don't even deserve this. That is why we love Jesus, because we don't deserve his love. He loved us when we didn't deserve to be loved. And so our response is just, you know what? What do you do to a person who loves you when you're at your worst? Your response is to love them and to honor them. And Paul prays that we can grasp somehow this limitless love, this love that no one can do anything about. I love the way Paul puts it in Romans 8, 35 through 38. He says this, who can separate us from the love of Christ? Who who can, like, who can get in the way? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written because you, because of you, we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This isn't Paul's petition for us to intellectually understand 
God's love, but he also wants us to experience God's love. That we would experience. And this is what the Holy Spirit does for us. Shameless plug for life groups. Shameless life groups plug. Dane Ortland in his book, Gentle and Lowly, said this about the Spirit's role in our life to understand the love of God. Here's what Dane Ortland said. He said the Spirit takes what we read in the Bible and believe on paper about Jesus' heart and moves it from theory to reality, from doctrine to experience. He also goes on to say in another quote in the book, Gentle and Lowly, Shameless Plug for Life Groups, the Spirit's role in summary is to turn our postcard apprehensions of Christ's great heart of longing affection for us into an experience of sitting on the beach in a lawn chair with a drink of your choice in hand. He didn't say that. In a drink in hand, enjoying the actual experience. So the Holy Spirit takes from what we know in our head and applies it right here to our heart. So we don't just know the love of God. We know the love of God. You know, think about this postcard. Um, a couple people from the church went to Colorado, somewhere ridiculous, in the snow. And they were sending me these pictures of them skiing and doing all other kind of ridiculous stuff. Driving through the snow in, in boots and dressed all in like some kind of space shuttle suits or whatever. They, whatever. I don't know what was going on. And they were just like showing like, and I was like, I don't want to be there. I was like, oh, that's, that's nice for you. That's good. for That looks good on you. But then when, I, when it came time for me to vacation, <laughs> I was on the beach with the sun right in front of me with the water. And I, I took a picture. I, I took a picture of it. I took a picture of it. And, and you can see me with my, and, and I didn't mean to do it, but right at the bottom of the picture, my toe was sticking up. Right at the bottom of my picture, my big, my big toe was sticking up. And I, and I showed him a picture of what it was like. But the, but the good news is he, 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 he really didn't need to know or see my picture because he's actually from there. He's, he's actually experienced it before. He knows what it's like to be on the beach in Miami. He, he grew up with it. He experienced it before. He knows the beauty of the ocean and what it sounds like. And so for me, for him, his, his, his thing wasn't just on the picture I sent him. He had actually experienced it and lived it before. And this is what the Holy Spirit does for us. He takes what is on a postcard in theology and applies it to our heart and makes it our experience and our reality. And so it's not just that we know the love of God, we get to know the love of God. And this is what Paul is praying. And he says this, he prays that we would do this with all the saints, meaning that we must know God together. We must know God and love him together. And it speaks to the necessity of community. Once we grasp just a small measure of the love that God has for us and has demonstrated towards us, his commands no longer look and feel like commands, but they become our delight. When you love God, his demands become our delight. His demands become our delight. But he says that we do it together. And his ultimate goal, and he says in verse 19, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And here's what Paul is praying, that we will have inner strength power of God through the spirit that Christ would take a resident in our hearts but he also prays that we will comprehend the love of God Paul's ultimate goal is that we would do those things or experience those things so that we would become all that God called us to be it's really a prayer for spiritual growth and spiritual maturity 
God's desire for us is to be spiritually mature. That regardless of how hard it is, or how far-reaching it may seem, God still expects you to be spiritually mature. That if we have the Spirit of God giving us access to the power of God, and we come to the realization that, that our strength comes from God, we will grow in our faith. That we actually will grow more through the challenges of life. And then if we get this a glimpse of the love that God has for us, our only response would be to live for him, which means that we will grow in our maturity towards him. This is an outlandish prayer that Paul is praying, that we would grasp the love of God. It's, it, it's unexplainable. Anybody has a small child or a toddler, the toddler can't explain his parents' love for him. It's, it's beyond Reason for the child. The child can't get it. He's not mature enough to get it. But a child does have a sense enough to know that if I need something, I'm so naive, I don't care how ridiculous it is, I'm going to go ask my daddy. You notice kids don't have no boundaries. They have no limit on what they will ask their parents for. They don't even know how ridiculous it is. God is saying, I need you to be childlike. I need you to be ridiculous. I need you to act. let me determine what's too much. A parent has to tell a child, no, I can't do that for you. It'll kill you. But the child asks anyway, let God say to you, no, I can't do that for you. It'll kill you. But maybe you ask him something that is outlandish and out of reach. And God says, here it is. I got an endless supply of this. It's more where this came from. I want to tell you a story. Paul ends this in a doxology. Paul prays. He says, now him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we could ever ask or think. You ever notice people always use that? But they typically use it with material possessions. And Paul here puts it in the context of spiritual growth and maturity. Paul says now to him who is able to do above and beyond what we can ask or think. He's going to do more than what you can even think that he can do or what you can think to ask of him. He's able to do it. And Paul is trying to say, you know what? If we ask, it's already done. He can do it. I'm just telling him what he already knows. I want to tell you a story, my own personal story, but I need you to hear it with spiritual ears and spiritual, a spiritual heart. Here's what I want you to know. When I was a freshman in college, this is the year 2000, I came to Orlando. I did not have a vehicle. I didn't have a car, and I got on campus during the summer, and I noticed all these people had cars. I was like, what is this? Teenagers with cars? This is, this is cool. I didn't, I, they had nice cars, two Benzes and Range Rovers, and I was like, what in the world is this? And, and so I didn't have a car. So I did real well my first semester. Your boy had straight A's. You know how I do. I had straight A's my first semester. Don't ask me about the next semester, but I had that one, that one time, that first semester, I, I had straight A's. And, and I didn't have a car, and so I went, went back home shortly after the semester was over. Went back home, and I needed a little car, and... Um, my, my dad and mom knew I needed a car, and so my dad took me and we go went and looked some cars, and I'm just thinking, just just give me a little, just give me a little point A to point B, just, just you know, y'all know what that is, just give me just give me give me a point A to point B, or give me one of those, give me one of those. I don't even, I don't even need, it don't even have to be a brand of car, it just be car, right? Just, just get me just get just get a car, like don't, don't whatever, like just get me one of those, a point A to point B, right? That, that just that's what I was thinking. So my dad he took me around, I was looking at some cars. I just, what if it had some tires and a wheel and an engine on it, I was all right with it, right? And, and so we were looking, and so 
I, I, just, I, just, I just need a car. I just need a little, I just need a little something, just some, some, something to get me from one place to another. And, and so we, we live in North Florida, from North Florida, and uh, right next, we're right near South Georgia. So we, one day on a Saturday, my dad took me to, uh, my dad took me to South Georgia to, I think we we're in uh, Albany, Georgia, somewhere. And went up there and took me to a dealership. And I'm just in the dealership. I'm, I'm, and the guy's coming. He's like, what you like? And I'm like, give me the worst car you got. Because that's all we can afford. I, I, I know how he, I'm just like, I don't, I, I don't want to get ridiculous, right? I don't want to be embarrassed. You know, you know how it is with some from my culture for our parents. Don't look at nothing. Don't ask for nothing. Don't touch nothing. Don't see nothing. Just, right, whatever. And so I'm just like, whatever, give, me, give me whatever you got that's barely running, right? And he said, okay. And my mom's like, yeah, don't, don't look at that. That's, don't look at that. That's too, don't look at that. That's, don't, look at, don't look at nothing new. I was like, whatever. All right. So the guy says, come with me. And I walk with the guy around the building. And around the building, it's 2000. And around the building is a brand new 2000 car with a big blue bow wrapped around it that my father had already got for me. I, I was thinking of something real low, barely running. My daddy got me something far above what I ever knew to ask or think that he could actually give me. Now, I don't want you to hear this with materialistic ears. I want you to hear this in the spirit. I was thinking one thing. My daddy was thinking far greater than what I was thinking. I thought he can do one thing. He actually could do something much higher than what I was thinking he could do. All I'm telling you is, is that if you just ask him, you don't know what he can do for you. You don't know what he's willing to do. You don't know what prayer he's willing to answer. And so we have to take these small, truncated, myopic prayers and throw them in the trash and pray big, expansive, enormous prayers prayers he says you are my son you are my daughter ask for whatever you need and if it is in my will I will do it for you because if I've called you to it I got enough supply to give you everything that you need to do what I called you to do but you gotta pray you gotta pray you gotta pray and so Paul is praying for inner strength and to comprehend the love of God and what I want you to do today is I want you to think of whatever your challenge is today, no matter how hard it is, no matter how far out of reach it seems, I want you to reconsider today. Maybe you have a, an enormous struggle. Maybe you have an impossible thing that you're dealing with. Maybe it's something that you've given up on. But today I want you to pick it up again. I want you to think of something personal. Not something that you can do, but something that God can do. There's nothing out of his reach. If you're tired, ask him for strength. If you're struggling, ask him for victory. If you're mad, Ask if your life is chaotic, ask him for peace. If you're broken, ask him to heal you and put you back together again. If you have limitation, ask him. I want you to think of somebody else too. Maybe you know somebody who's in an impossible situation. 
Maybe somebody's sick. Maybe somebody's not saved. Maybe somebody you've been praying for and you just said, you know, then it's never going to happen for them. Maybe today is the day to pick it back up again and say, God, you can do it. Maybe there's something that you want to see happen in your church. It's nothing too hard for God. Ask. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your prayer card. And I want you to write down the biggest prayer you can think of. The most ridiculous thing. If you got one prayer, write the one. If you got two, write it. If you got three, write it. Whatever it is. Or how much ever you can fit in a little small card. But I want you to pray today. Paul says, and to him who is able, to him who is able, who's able, who, who can do it. He actually will work on your behalf. Now to him who is able to do far and above beyond what you could ask or think according to the power that works, works in us. I need you to pray. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a child, a co-worker. Maybe you have a financial situation that no one else knows about. Maybe you are in debt to your eyeballs and you can't breathe. God, just pray. Maybe you have an illness that nobody knows about. Pray. Maybe you, you were hurt years ago and you still deal with the pain and the effects of something that someone did to you. I pray that God would heal you today. Maybe you, you need something that, 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 that you just can't get like you've tried. God says, good. I'm glad you came to the end of yourself. Pray. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If it was a blessing to you, please consider visiting our website, outpouringorlando.com, to connect with us and to also give financial support. If you are ever in the Orlando area, we would love to serve and worship with you. 